When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, I get it. I used to be the one planning my day around finding a bathroom and living in fear of an accident. I tried the pills and pads, but they just weren't working for me. If you're living like I was, it's time to find an expert physician and ask them about Axonix therapy. It's not another drug. It's an advanced therapy that is proven to provide lasting relief for overactive bladder. Still not sure? You can even try it first to make sure it works for you. You're not alone and you don't have to put up with this anymore. You just have to take the first step towards finding real relief. Visit findrealrelief.com to find a bladder specialist. That's findrealrelief.com. Consult a bladder specialist to find out if Axonix is right for you. Results and experiences may vary. Risks can result from Axonix therapy that may require surgical intervention. Available by prescription only. For more information about safety and potential risks, go to findrealrelief.com. Welcome to episode 5 of Pod Aruni. I can't believe it's episode 5. I've had some really great chats and I'm really enjoying it. I've had Stephanie Roach, Patrick McDonald, Fred Cook and Malachi McCourt. I'm honing my interview technique. My first lesson was not to go yeah, 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 while people were talking. My second lesson was to bring spare batteries when I was recording with my portable Zoom recorder. And my third lesson I learned on this interview, and that's not to talk for two hours when you want to put out an hour and ten. Because we really got carried away on this one, and uh, editing is not fun. This week I'm shooting a couple of pilots for TV. Uh, you never know if anything will come of these, but uh, you've got to keep trying. It's a mystery to me why some things get chosen for TV and other things get turned down. It's particularly a mystery to me when my ideas get turned down because my ideas are all genius ideas. However, I will be appearing on Red Rock on TV3 in the coming week as an Elvis impersonator who gets beaten up by a rival Elvis impersonator. I don't don't actually perform as Elvis in it. I just look like an Elvis impersonator. I loved getting all the cuts and blood put on and makeup. That was my first time having any special makeup done to me. Because usually I just get really beaten up for the part or burnt or blown up or stabbed. That's just the way I like to act, you know. Daniel Day Lewis style. Yeah. So this week's episode is with Steve Wall, who I actually knew from years ago before the stunning started. Haven't seen him that much over the years. Recently we were doing a gig in... New York and in Boston with uh, Monday the Stunning, the Boomtown Rats, which I was emceeing. And I had a few drinks with him over there. And then he came into the studio last week and we had this very long chat, which I've cut down to uh, an edible amount. So enjoy it. Yeah, 
listened to a song called Bird in a Cage, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. So is that kind of talking about your that's kind growing of, uh, up? Yeah, that's the, that's my little autobiography. Yeah. <laughs> Which I suppose it covers Joe as well, because yeah. we're all together. Cause we, so so was he, did you grow did your father have a shoe shop? Yeah. Yeah, yeah everything, yeah. it's all basically true, and it's all kind of yeah. like... That's the whole thing, you know. Yeah. When people say to me, "Where are you guys from?" Go and I just like, just listen to that song. It's yeah. all in there. And is is you left the city? That's what it says in the song. You yeah, we to, were in you, Dublin. Oh, you lived in Dublin. Yeah, oh, we right. were in Dublin. That's till where you were born. I was thirteen. It's exactly. It's that. Yeah. It's that song. I was thirteen. Yeah. Till we packed up in the city and moved down south to, or moved out west to a town in the country. And what what and, town? Uh, Ennis Diamond. Ennis Diamond. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. That's just Father Ted's. That's what Father Ted's. Yeah, yeah. So and we've a, and we've a shop on the main street, Walls. My oh. grandfather's name is—it's not over at the moment, but his name yeah. S Wall. Uh, boots, shoes was over the oh, top, right. and it was a really old world shoe shop. Yeah, and yeah. And some yeah. of the shoes were handmade. There was an old shoe factory at the back. Oh, really? Yeah. That was derelict. Okay. And uh, so my dad was a furniture salesman in Arnott's on Henry Street, and we were lived. We lived in Harold's Cross, Kimmage. And then Rathfarnham was the last place we lived in. Mm. And uh, and uh, uh, then he just bought his own his, premises. No, his mother, his mother was elderly, and she said, "Listen, I'm going to, I'm going to leave this to you in my will." Oh. Um, but she didn't die for years later. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, we all moved down and lived with, with her. And, oh, uh, did you? Yeah. So we moved. Oh, down. you moved down before she. Whole died. family moved down. Like you, yeah. you took over. And I had just start, took I, over the shop. I had just started secondary school in Temple Oak College, going into first year. Yeah. And I didn't want to go. I, no, you know, we used to go down there for summer holidays. And I yeah. thought grand for that, but yeah. I don't want to live there. So wasn't so we it? moved down, and it was like it was rough enough now. Yeah. Into the Christian, we both were put into the Christian Brothers, myself and Joe, and uh, it was like fucking going back forty years. Like yeah. corporate punishment was in full swing. And uh, did you get? Oh yeah, Jesus! It was like going into, it was like Angela's ashes or something. Holy shit! And, uh, and my dad was still in Dublin working in Arnott's, and he was going down at weekends, and he was trying to sell the house in Dublin and all that kind of stuff. So we were kind of felt sort of we've just been abandoned. <laughs> so Joe were getting the shit kicked out of us like wholesale by teachers or by fellow students, fellow, fellow fucking townies lads, shit. you know. It was, it was a rough town like there was a lot of alcoholism in it at the time and the boxing club had just closed uh, the year before we moved down so there was all these like so there's all these trained boxers trained boxers that we would end up scrapping on the street hadn't a clue you know and uh, so yeah everything in that song is all true it's all kind of like it's not a good time it took us about well I mean for the first it took yeah. a couple of years really to kind of settle and it was a struggle do you know what I mean I kind of I was always thinking because I was you know I was 13 when we moved down there and then you know I went into second year in secondary school so I'd had a taste of, of life where I, we had like you know multi-channel TV and uh, you know a school that was taught several languages and had a science lab and swimming was on the on the you know on your curriculum yeah and, all kinds of sports and everything. We went down there, and my class second year was eleven pupils. Holy God! And these ferocious Christian brothers that were just like you know, they'd strike fear into your soul. But did they and use a, a belt or? A they had leathers, and they'd mm. use their fists and the back of their hand, and they'd twist your nipples and <laughs> all kinds of stuff. Yeah, they were fucking 
like full on you know and all of this was like when a corporal punishment was certainly in schools in Dublin that wasn't going on yeah, you're about, I suppose you're about the same age as me. I went to a Christian Brothers for two years in Drogheda, but they did. One guy had a strap, and a teacher had a stick. Yeah, and another guy would knock you on the head with his, yeah. his knuckles. Yeah, but uh, oh, they throw the glantor at you and all full <laughs> force, like you know, a block of wood. <laughs> yeah, and it'd hit you on the head, or some fell on the head, and there'd be a shower of chalk dust. You know what I mean? Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> But, the but I mean, I think it'd be worse if you'd had a taste of a proper good school. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. To go backwards, rather than if you yeah. grew up with it, you think oh, exactly. You think know. that's it. That's just it. Like, and you yeah. take it. But I was kind of in shock, you know. Yeah. And we when we went down there as well, there was only there was one television station because it was you, you got your TV on an aerial. There was a we all lived in a tiny room at the back of the shop with a Stanley range and. Uh, everyone just it was the only warm room in the house oh, Jesus. we were all in there and uh, the bell a little bell would go off when somebody came in the front door of the shop you know a customer and she might only ring twice in the day yeah <laughs> and we were all in there with the grandmother watching a black and white TV with just television sharing oh. on it one channel yeah so what kind of how did you get into music like what kind of music like did you buy records were you listening to the radio were you? well I'd say um my interest in music definitely started uh, and we were living in the house in Harold's Cross with my grandparents and my mother came from a large family there was like six girls and one boy mm. and uh, the house was full of all their records so it was stuff like that kind of spanned their ages Yeah. so the older my aunts including my mother and all would have been listening to stuff like Ella Fitzgerald and Sarah Vaughan oh, and cool. Dionne Warwick and cool. the Burt Bacharach stuff all of that and uh, so it was all vinyl and there was an old Dynacord you know you lift up the lid one of those kind of t- record players and um, then the younger aunts uh, would have had stuff like uh, all the Beatles records and the Kinks and you know, there was no Rolling Stones records there. They obviously didn't like the Stones, but, uh, yeah, but that's pretty good stuff. But great because stuff. I mean, my uh, parents bought stuff like show band stuff, right? Do you know what I mean? Yeah, so, yeah. I didn't have any aunts or uncles. Yeah, no, it was it was that's cool stuff. I found it, it was quite different, I suppose, the tastes in in Dublin as to when we moved down to the west. Mm. You know, because uh, when I was around, I suppose I would have been around like seven or eight when I was allowed to actually put a record on mm. and I think that I just started listening to Beatles records I remember like Please Please Me and Sgt Peppers and all that as a kid putting it on and then you know they often printed the lyrics on the back and there were great sleeve notes written by yeah. some music journalists and all that so I loved sitting there listening to the songs and reading all the stuff and uh, there was then an aunt of mine went she got a job at KTEL who did all those compilations. Yeah. So them, she yeah. was always bringing home all these kind of top 20 hits, you know, David Essex and Mud and uh, all this kind of... My brother was a big Mud fan. Shawadi Wadi. There was loads of that yeah. kind of stuff. It would have been that era. Mm. And... Um, I loved Mud, actually. Mud, yeah. I loved uh, It'll Be Lonely. It'll be lonely, lonely this yeah. Christmas. It's kind of bizarre, that yeah. period in the late 70s where they were... It was all about basically 50s rock and roll, you know. That's right. Shawadi Wadi just did covers of yeah. rock and roll songs. Uh, and you had your man, what's his name? The Steve... The oh, Shaking, Shaking Stevens, Stevens and all of that. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, a lot of the songs were rock and roll. Even if they were new songs, they had the rock and roll style. Yeah. Right? Like bands like Racy 
And yeah, yeah. Oh God, yeah, yeah. And that uh, one's and Alvin Stardust, he died recently. Died recently there, yeah. yeah. Do you know what? Yeah. He looks really like Roy Keane, Alvin Stardust. Really? If you look at him, look at a photograph from him, he looks like Roy Keane. <laughs> 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 um, yeah, so you had cool records in the house. Well, anyway. I, I suppose I wouldn't yeah. have known, because you know when you're at that age, you don't know what's... Go- it's just whatever you like, you know what I mean? So certain... You'd put on certain things and you go, wow, it just, you know... As a kid, you you know, there was no kind of scene in school or anything like that. Uh, I was just, I just got a kick off it, you know. Yeah. And then I remember, um, I obviously, you know, still believed in Santa Claus because I remember writing a letter to Santa Claus saying I wanted my own record player. Yeah. And uh, I think that was the, the, the year I discovered there was no Santa Claus because I found the record player like oh, yeah. a couple of weeks before Christmas hidden behind a sofa and I put two and two together. But, uh, so that was young then you were into music. What, what age was yeah, that? Yeah, I mean, that would have been. been I w- Unless you believed in Santa right up to. I would have been about maybe eight or something. Wow, so you were right into music. You know? Yeah. So with the record player came two records from Santa, you know? And uh, straight away I knew which one my mother had got and which one my father had got. And the one my mother had got was the Four Tops because she knew I'd listened to all that stuff in my grandparents' house. I loved the Four Tops wow. and because uh, they had loads of stuff like The Temptations it was all the Motown stuff as well you know wow, and uh, so she got me the Four Tops the other one was um, uh, Clinton the Clown sings songs for her <laughs> and it was my dad bought me that who hasn't a clue about music what the what is Clinton the Clown <laughs> it was this English guy that played um, songs he was a bit like Tiny Tim you know, he's singing a, a falsetto. He had half of his on the album cover was half of his face was made up as the clown, and the other half was just his normal face. And it That's was like um, scary, there actually. was a song on it called "He Played His Ukulele as the Ship Went Down." So there were novelty songs mm. that kids might get a kick out of played on the ukulele. You know, I think I listened to it once, and even at that age of the innocent age of eight, I hated it. Yeah. <laughs> it was like, give me the four tops. Yeah. You know? yeah. That's so. pretty cool stuff, though, because when I was growing up, I mean, the first time I heard the Beatles was the Top of the Pops album of the Beatles, so it wasn't even the Beatles playing. Right, the oh, yeah, the there were covers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it was uh, yeah. the hits of the Beatles played by some yeah. fashion band, I presume. I used to wonder about those K-Tel albums, actually. Were they all covers as well, or were they actually? No, I think K-Tel were, the, were yeah. the just compilations of the hits. Like, uh, what's the albums that come out now? Um no, that's what I. No, called. that's what I call music. Too, yeah, okay. I think they were. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, did you play an instrument then at a young age? No, um, I was. Oh, I was learning piano um, in Dublin for a couple of years. I think I remember doing like the first grades, and uh, I was actually enjoying it. Like I didn't have to be whipped into practicing. Mm-hmm. I was. I was kind of enjoying it. And then when we moved down to Ennis Diamond, this was 1976 when we moved. Oh right, yeah. It's a long time ago. Yeah. Um, there was no piano teacher in the town, so basically piano came to an end. And then uh, our dad had got us a guitar. Now, it was a very difficult guitar to play. The strings were um, really Way high off the fretboard. The fret action yeah, yeah. And he got it in an auction in in the city centre. And I remember he, he I got a rally chopper as well wow. because it was the weekend after the Dublin bombings oh right yeah and there was nobody turned up at the auction oh only a few people so there was like he knew I was 
wanted a rally chopper for years I'd seen people going around it was like my dream you know when you're a kid you would dream at night time about like having something like that yeah, yeah, yeah. a bike yeah, yeah. you know you yeah. would have these dreams and here you are like jumping over chasm to ca- you know cliffs and ravines on this thing and yeah. you know I remember I used to love uh, during boring classes in school and you'd just look out the window and daydream and it was always scrambler motorbikes and <laughs> rally choppers and stuff and uh, but it was yeah it was that after the Dublin bombings and um, he got this cheap old guitar and the rally chopper so myself and I think Joe a bit as well started I remember I, I was trying to play the Beatles songs on the guitar yeah and I had um a book of Beatles songs and they had little chord diagrams it didn't just say you know G, C, D, E, F whatever there were the little diagrams of the chords yeah so painstakingly I would place my fingers on the fretboard mm. you know and go she loves you <laughs> yeah no, yeah, yeah and and eventually over because you know when you're that age and you want to do something you just put so much time into it yeah. and then after and I knew the songs all I knew every, every word to every Beatles song at that point and so I just kind of taught myself to play guitar through a Beatles songbook. Wow. So enough, and you know. Sh- shitty guitar. like. The, yeah. Uh, and then when we went down to Ennis Diamond, there was a guy lived um, two doors down for us, a guy called James Barry, and he was a really good guitar player. And uh, I remember getting a couple of little lessons off him. Mm. And he showed me some little shortcuts and stuff. So I just kind of learned enough. I, I, I wouldn't be a guitar virtuoso. I'm not a great guitar player. I just wanted enough to be able to say play my favourite songs yeah I never knew I was going to ever end up writing any songs you know yeah um, so but you don't have to be a virtuoso to write good songs no and you sometimes find actually people who are some people are songwriters aren't often the master of no, their not, particular no. instrument you know so. I mean, and then you I mean you do have ones obviously that are as well but um some people like I mean I couldn't do a guitar solo to save my life I think if I go past the seventh fret you know the the, the dusty end of the neck yeah I, all I see is like train tracks I'm kind of dys- <laughs> dyslexic you know I don't know where to go so I couldn't do solos or anything right yeah but I mean you know great songwriter Shane McGarren's a great songwriter and I don't think he I've never seen him play any yeah guitar, true so yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah, and so when you li- when you left school, did you go to college then, or what? what I did. Yeah, I couldn't wait to get out of the school in Ennis Diamond. Mm. Mm. Um, there wasn't much in the way of career guidance, so I hadn't a clue. The career guidance basically was uh, you got five minutes in the head brother's office, and he'd say to you, "Well, what are you, what are you interested in?" <laughs> and I remember saying, "Art, brother." Will you go on out of that? <laughs> yeah. He says, "You'll never get a job in art." <laughs> And he says, you'll go down to the exam. And they, they'd sent us all down in, the whole class were sent down in a minibus to Ennis. And we did uh, exams for the P&T, the Department of Post and Telegraph. Oh, right, yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah, uh, the banks. Yeah, they, yeah, that was the two jobs, was it? The banks, the civil yeah. Service yeah. The banks. The civil service, and then there was a civil yeah. service one, I think, and yeah. there was um, the ESB or something. Yeah. And uh, we, we, were, we had various trips down to Ennis in a minibus. <laughs> to do these exams yeah. I had no remote interest in them I don't think I tried at all yeah. but there was always um, an hour break for a lunch between these exams mm. and uh, I remembered there was this fella because there was like all kind, lads from all different backgrounds in my class some of them would be you know farmer sons and all and mm. they were great crack and there was one fella from Quilty in County Clare who always had a few quid in him because I think he was buying and selling cattle and all of that. <laughs> right. This guy Eddie always had money, and anyway, we're um, 
we came out of some exam it was for the P&T or something and uh, he says uh, he says lads have you have you ever had a rum and black <laughs> says, yeah. I didn't know what he what was talking about like, we wouldn't have been I suppose uh, 17 yeah yeah you know. You know, and at that point, you'd have been doing a bit of cider drinking and stuff like that, right. you know, at the back of the disco and all yeah. that. But rum and blacks Rumman now Black. was another That's thing. Really says, no. Oh, it's a lovely drink, he says. And um, he says, come on, we'll go in here. And we went into some bar and uh, it was, I remember it was the middle of winter. It was really cold and there was a fire down the back. And we sat down there and Eddie, who kind of looked older because the, 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 the lads, some of these lads, the farmers' sons when they came to school, they wore suits, old kind of suits and stuff, oh you know. Right. Do you know what? Farmers always wore suits then when they were out yeah. milking. Yeah. They wore a jacket and a waistcoat. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so he, like, he had a suit. So I suppose he looked a bit older than he was. And uh, so he went up and there was probably about six, he ordered six rum and blacks. <laughs> sure. Yeah. There's only like a little glass. We were like, oh, let's go knock them back. Oh, yeah, yeah, gone. Yeah, and then yeah, yeah. I suppose three rum and blacks later anyway. Yeah. We thought, Jesus. They're lovely, Eddie. They're great. And uh, I remember saying, oh, we better get back to the exam. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> so we walked out. I remember, like, it was like, you know, you've come out of a matinee. It was a cold, sunny day. And just the fresh air hit me. I walked straight into a lamppost. One of those big steel ones. You know what I mean? I remember yeah. there was a horrendous kind of, like, it was like a bell being hit. Jesus. Walked straight into one of them. And... Um, so that and was kind of like what entailed doing the exam. <laughs> that was the career guide. So the exam so. wouldn't have gone too well. After no, that. sure, no, no, not concussion no. and drunk. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I, d- I did. Um, well, I applied for. I kind of thought my whole idea of going to college was to meet like-minded people mm. that I might be able to form a band with. That's right. all I wanted. All right. Uh, well, this is uh, what year? Because punk would have happened around. This was. So. Um, I did the leaving in nineteen eighty. Right, so the punk thing would have punk been up was, and running. I, so I was, the, my whole, I, mean, I had a good conversation with someone recently about this, actually, uh, with uh, with Googie, you know. Oh, right, um, yeah, yeah. Googie from, from the Prunes. From the Prunes, yeah. yeah. And we were just saying how people who kind of grew up through the, the punk era and all mm. of that, there's a different mindset. Mm. It's kind of like, and I miss a little bit of that in today's music scene. It's all so bloody well considered and sensitive a lot of it and kind of just sort of so well thought out and in advance yeah there's no sense of spontaneity and surprise and danger about it no no everyone's so PC and all of that like you had people like I mean I still today if I put on New Rose by the damned the hairs they'll stand up back in my head and my arms and everything like that you just hear that it brings me straight back to that kind of real can do attitude and not really been able, no, you don't even know how to play your instrument hardly but you've just well, got that spirit that, you didn't have to play you start a band and no one could play an instrument that's yeah, amazing yeah, thing. yeah, <laughs> yeah it was more the attitude of yeah. the person you would you could be in the band because you've got the yeah. right attitude yeah, yeah. so like at, at that point like I remember um, I used to be able to tune in to Dave Fanning's rock show had started yeah and uh, our bedroom was at the top of the house on the main street in Ennistime and it would be like up on the top floor where you got reasonable radio reception so I used to listen Fanning's show I think didn't start till midnight or something yeah or maybe went till midnight it was quite late I remember I used to listen to it in bed anyway so it must have been late yeah Yeah. I'd be listening to it under the covers you know yeah and um I remember hearing White Man in the Hammersmith Palais by what the Clash. What a song. Amazing and it song. Just, I was like, oh my God, I hadn't heard anything that sounded like oh, that. Beautiful. It sounded like it was live. Yeah. And uh, so I, I remember the next, you couldn't get, the nearest town with a record shop was Ennis. Mm. 
and the the record shop was useless. All you could get were show band records. You know what I mean? Yeah. All the, there were always these pictures. You know, Gina Dale Hayes in the Champions. Oh yeah, or, yeah, yeah. Or the, you know, all of these guys, <laughs> and they all had like blow dried hair and tank yeah. tops, and uh, you couldn't get any kind of punk records or yeah. stuff. I had to come up to Dublin. Yeah. There was a bus that left Ennis Dime and it went. It was the Lisdoon Varna bus, and it went all the way to Dublin. It took seven hours. Yeah, and this is to get a record. Seven hours <laughs> to get a record. <laughs> yeah. You got on this bus and then it did Lisdoon Varna, it wound its way down the Corkscrew Hill, down through Kilshani and all that, into Ennis Dime, and you got on the bus outside Nan Aaron's pub, yeah. and about seven hours later you pulled into Dublin. Yeah, that's, that's and dedication. I, and I went up to Advance Records, which was across the road from the Gaiety. Oh, yes, yeah, yeah. Before the, the Stevens Green Centre was there, Advance yeah. Records was like a punk rock record yeah. shop it would have been our good vibrations I suppose yeah 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 and I went yeah. in there and I'd get I'd have saved up a bit of pocket money and stuff and I'd get a few records you know mm. and I got mm. White Man in the Hammersmith Palais oh. 7 inch and yeah. uh I would have got a few different things. I remember getting a Skids album. Oh, the Skids. Yeah. yeah. Into the Valley. Into the Valley. Yeah. And uh, she, working for the Yankee Dollar and all that. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Good song, yeah, yeah, yeah. Did you know Sean O'Connor? Yeah, Sean, Sean and Mark. Yeah, yeah. And, okay. and, and Des O'Byrne, of course. And Des O'Byrne from yeah. the Golden Horde. The, the Golden Horde. The Golden I think Horde. it was Des we met first. Oh, okay. Because right, the, yeah. the Stunning had done... Yeah. Um, oh, no, hang on. This was before this. I think it was before the Stunning. No, it was before the Stunning. before the Stunning. You were thinking about... Starting a band. I remember talking to you and Joe. Yeah, you were talking about starting a band. You yeah, know, you know you had. Well, Joe was away. Heyman um, from Aim the Dowd, Yeah. Dowd, so well, how would I, I'll, 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 I'll put it in chronological order oh, okay. for you quickly. Yeah. Um, so after all of that palaver and um, doing exams for the Post and Telegraph, yeah. the USB and all that, um, I basically applied for some college courses. The first one I was offered was mechanical engineering in the right. regional tech in Galway. And I accepted it because that was my ticket out of Venice Diamond. Right. And um, I accepted that, not having a clue about mechanical engineering. I thought, well, I'm kind of like, I might learn how to, you know, do something with car engines or motorbike engines or something like that. Mm. I didn't realize it's all physics. I hadn't even done physics in school. So I have no idea how I was accepted into that course. So um, mm. I did. So I went up to Galway. And that's where I met Eamon. And there was a New Testament. This band were doing a lunchtime concert in, in the college. And I went along and I thought they were brilliant. Yeah. And what, uh, did they have any records out ever? They yeah, had demos. There was a, I think there was a fanning session or something mm. at some point. Because um, I know the I, name. Definitely. There was cassette releases right, and stuff yeah. like that. Sold at gigs and all. Okay. And uh, Eamon was really into like Joy Division and the Bunnymen and the Clash. They would have been the kind of main influences. Yeah. So... We it were was all the band that did It's a Sunday Morning. Was that, that was the Fuse. The Fuse. Yeah, they were, were they? just before us. They were yeah. Galway. Galway as well, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. And uh, so we were all kind of like, we, we bought, um, we wore secondhand clothes, like suits, black suits that we got in kind of Vincent de Paul's shops and all that. And yeah. my hair was dyed black and black eye mas- mascara on and all that. So we were look, looked that sort of 80s kind of um, mm. Joy Division, serious young, oh, yeah. serious young men. And uh, so um, we were gigging around the West. We did all kinds of gigs, played any, anywhere we could. 
and it was great no, you, fun. You were gigging with who? This was with with New Testament. I joined them. Oh, you joined New Testament. Yeah, Sorry. I went to see them, yeah, and yeah, yeah. then after a couple of these lunchtime concerts in the college, I went backstage after one, and I, and I said to Aim, I said, you know, the band is really great, but I think you need a second guitar. Yeah, <laughs> fill out the song, <laughs> fill out the sound, and uh, I said I play guitar and all that. So we did a, a rehearsal together, and it all kind of worked out. And then cool. I joined them, yeah. so kind of was in them. Uh, for another two years after that yeah uh, and then um, and then what was the sound like it's like kind of um, it was sort of guitar riff stuff kind of um, slightly kind of dark yeah you know um, a bit of the echo in the bunny men right. in the lower register okay. Eamon, Eamon was the lead singer okay. and I was the backing singer yeah yeah and uh, I played rhythm guitar and some lead lines uh, sure all that stuff was all simple one note stuff yeah. anyway wasn't it there was a lot of that changing bass lines with the the same guitar <laughs> oh right line, yeah. you know. well you know guitar solos were kind of frowned upon back they then. were yeah if, you, yeah if it was like the jam did the odd guitar solo and people were mm, that's a bit long that guitar yeah. solo there <laughs> yeah yeah yeah. Uh, yeah so um after a couple of years of that then and I failed all my exams in college and uh then I decided that really uh, it wasn't music after all that was my calling it was acting because that was something mm. I was always interested in so when I left the college um, I did um, I did a, I spent a summer in Germany working all right. to make some money and to uh, that was actually quite a pivotal kind of trip for me I suppose as a a young man you mm. know um, spent three or four months there in a small town in Bavaria working in a factory and uh, I kind of I don't know it was I think that was a really important thing to do it was my my dad that kind of made me go because when he was like 18 or something like that he went off and hitchhiked around Europe and he always spoke about it for years afterwards right. you know at every family gathering he'd, he'd go he'd go um did I ever tell you about the time I hitchhiked around Europe and we'd all go oh jeez <laughs> you know we could quote everything you yeah. know? so I suppose it got to an age and he felt that I needed one of these kind of coming of age experiences right. so it was packed off um, oh. to Germany he bought me the ticket and all yeah. and there was two fellas that were older from me from Ennis Diamond that were there and he'd heard about this in the local pub you know one of his mates said oh Frank Gallery and Gene Kelleher they're down there in somewhere south of Munich making a fortune <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I think I looked like I was get, I was trouble, you know, was brewing because I was like not doing well, failing in college miserably, and all of this, and nothing on the horizon. So my dad obviously went, "Okay, that's for Steve." So I was brought down to Ennis into a travel agent, tickets bought, and I'm packed off. And I remember go, going down to Shannon Airport with the whole family to see me off. My mother in tears. Oh. I'd never been on an airplane before. Wow and my mother was in tears because I was like going off into the great unknown her eldest boy mm. and all the rest of them Joe and my, Anna and Helen and the, we had the baby brother Vinny at that point How many they were all in tears five there's five years uh, and you're the and eldest I was been, I'm the eldest oh, I was right. been packed off and I remember I'd never done that whole thing of kind of like um, getting on a plane now this would have been like very rudimentary back then I'm sure at Shannon Airport was tiny mm. um, but uh, I remember on the plane and there was some kind of German businessman sitting beside me. I remember I was quite nervous because I thought, I started thinking, what if I'm on the wrong plane? Am I sure I'm on the right plane? Mm. And uh, say if the plane lands and I get off and I'm like in Africa or something. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, I'm rightly fucked then. And I actually started getting kind of a panic attack. I thought, what 
Jesus, did I read the thing right? Am I on EI? And I literally, so I tapped this man and I'd done German in school mm. and uh, I tapped this man and I said, uh, he was like reading a magazine or something. I said, Entschuldigung Sie bitte, gehen diesen Flugzeug nach München? Yeah. <laughs> I basically said, excuse me, is this plane going to Munich? Now we'd been on the thing for about an hour. <laughs> oh, we were, you're in the air. <laughs> we were in the air. <laughs> We were in the air. It was like being on, the, say, the, the train to Limerick or something yeah, like that, you know. We're in the air. We were about a good hour, I'd say, in the air. And I, then it started dawning me, what if I'm on the wrong plane? Yeah, yeah. And I tapped and I basically said, excuse me, is this plane going to Munich? <laughs> Your man, I remember he lowered his glasses and he looked at me and he kind of thought, is this a joke or something? And he just went, natürlich. And I was like, danke schön. <laughs> that was the end of the conversation that was the end of the conversation and I just I remember going because oh. oh. I knew I was going to be getting picked up by one of these people you know or yeah. hopefully going to meet me at the airport yeah. and it was just a sigh of relief I was like oh yes I'm on the right plane <laughs> your man was I thought I was a complete looper <laughs> yeah Oh, that's class. Uh, so anyway, yeah. when you came back, when you came back from Germany, is that when you took the you decided uh, it, uh, you, the band thing was going to be something? I did. Do? I did. Um, I did a year. To, oh no, I, I went into the Druid Theatre in Galway, and I decided, you know, I'm going. I wanted to do my own thing for a while, and I was really interested in acting. I loved films, and I was fascinated with all of that and theatre. I used to read plays. I was really into. Yeah, I used to read a lot back then, an awful lot. I yeah. was really into. You know French literature and yeah. Albert Camus and André oh, yeah. Gide and yeah. all that stuff. You know, I suppose I was like a young romantic. I suppose you know that kind of yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, I, I was loved reading all that. I was Joyce and all of that. And and all. Really hard yeah, stuff to hard read. Stuff, yeah, I look yeah, at the, the, the books. I still have those books at home, and I go, my God, I've read all of those. It's yeah. brilliant. But yeah. I mean, it really stands the. I think when it comes to writing in later years, you don't realize mm. it, but like, it does kind of. Um, open up so much to you actually Hosier was talking about that as yeah. well in an interview I read I think he's a well read young chap you right know? but it does actually when it comes to songwriting and all of that I think it it really helps in, in your in your choice of words and your taste and how you how you describe things because you, you've got a kind of a bank there yeah. of reference you know yeah. and yeah. Uh, yeah. so I used to read a lot of plays and all of that and and it, and I was always interested in theatre so I, I basically just walked into Druid off the street and mm. I was interviewed by um, Mary Mullen the actress who's a famous Irish actress and, so uh, you just went in and said just went I'm in and I just in. said I'm interested in this or that and she said oh yeah. yeah and I can't even remember if I had any kind of um, monologue or anything I don't mm. think I did and uh, I just got on we had a chat got on really well and she just said well will you come in on Monday and mm. we'll, we'll find something for you to do wow. so I ended up with them I was with them for about two years and I did kind of, I didn't do any major parts or it, and I was like walk-on parts. And, yeah, what place were you um, in? I was in like uh, Tom Murphy's on the outside, and then uh, there was another Murphy one. But I'd have small walk-on mm. parts, you know. But I'd be doing other things at the same time. I'd be pulling ropes backstage and opening doors. Mm. I was sound operator on oh, cool. co uh, conversations on Homecoming. Right. And... Um, and was we, what was it like? Was that your first time up on stage? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, it was, it was, um, scary. Mm. It was really scary. But um, yeah. So yeah, so I remember like it dawned on me one night at a gig. I was like, you know what? Like, I got fed up with the whole thing with um in in I suppose the theatre world was somebody else makes the decision whether you're going to work or not. You yeah. know, yeah. Unless you're a writer or something. Um, 
but you don't have that power and, and I hated that feeling of powerlessness and uh, so I just thought you know what it's there's so many bands starting so many great bands and there was still a bit of that punk ethos of like mm-hmm. ca- the can do attitude and mm-hmm. um, and I just decided I'm going to start a band so I put an ad in the hot press singer seeks blah 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 influences and all that yeah. and I booked Aidan Walsh's um, one of his rehearsal rooms for two nights yeah and met loads of musicians and yeah. um we kind of jammed and stuff and uh, met loads of people and then it was kind of because that now that, now my mind was clear that's what I was going to do okay and I was down in Galway like it was I can remember there was a bank holiday weekend or it was Easter or something like that and I went down to Galway for a few days and the band kind of fell together there I always knew that Derek Derek the guitar player used to have a second hand music shop in Galway he sold you know vinyl and he sold second hand guitars electric guitars and amps and stuff I didn't know him um, I knew his girlfriend who was in the college mm. I didn't really know him that well but you'd, when you'd go into the shop Derek would have records on he'd have Van Morrison records on and Johnny Guitar Watson and stuff like that and he'd be just sitting there behind he'd pick a guitar off the wall and he'd be soloing and all this I was going man he's, he's an amazing guitar player mm. if I ever put a band together I'm going to ask him mm. so one day I walked in and, and I asked him "Would he, I'm putting the band yeah. together and he kind of went yeah 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 might, might be interested you know that kind of thing and then uh, he is brilliant guitar I saw, when I saw he was in New York and Boston I went wow god he's Derek. very good isn't he uh, yeah. lovely yeah and he has this kind Sweet of unique sound. style of a mm. kind of it's a soulful groovy style but yeah. with a country influence yeah so they're kind of country licks as well as that sort of like yeah soul stuff you know it's, oh, it's, beautiful. it's, it's quite you know I don't know anyone who's kind of plays guitar quite like that at mm. the moment you know mm. and um and then, he, he's from up in Donegal he's from it? Donegal yeah, yeah. yeah. and, and uh, Cormac, Cormac the, drummer, Cormac the drummer. drummer Cormac was the last drummer in New Testament oh okay so we already knew Cormac yeah and Cormac wasn't playing with anybody Cormac was actually had studied archaeology so Cormac was working in Waterford like on some archaeological dig alright digging digging up graves as we used to say I think in the press Viking. release Vikings for me yeah, <laughs> yeah. and um, so and then Joe was um, Joe had been away for months travelling yeah. around Europe having his kind of coming of age right. the age of reason so Joe at this point had stopped in Switzerland and had a job in a hotel as a pool attendant wow <laughs> so I wrote to Joe and uh, asked him would he be interested in coming back and learning the bass guitar yeah. so what was interesting about that actually was everybody you know, all these lads all moving into this house together and uh, uh, Derek's girlfriend moved in as well and uh Everyone had their own record collections. Yeah. So yeah. you had all of this stuff. Like Cormac had loads of great stuff. His from his his dad had all these Blue Note jazz albums, yeah. and then Cormac's own records were all stuff like Pere Ubu and uh, Pere Ubu, yeah, and uh, you know that. loads yeah. of uh, the Stooges and stuff that Not I didn't have. Packed was a Pere Ubu. Yeah, song. yeah. <laughs> and there was yeah. a guy, then a guy moved in yeah, after a while, right. um, a guy called um, Dara Phelan, who was, um, I think he's now with the chief psych. Uh, Psychologist or psychiatric doctor in the Kerry region or something like that. Dara, this yeah. guy Dara, who had an amazing music collection, great taste in music, yeah. and he had loads of uh, all of that kind of enemy indie stuff all yeah. on vinyl as well. Yeah. And um, it cool. was an amazing that collection. Sounds... So, so we were kind of the Stunnings music kind of came out of that yeah. bizarre record collection. Yeah. 
of country soul and bits of new wave and all of that you know so there was music being played all day long and then of course there was a party every night sure back then wow it sounds like heaven to be honest yeah and yeah, it, was, yeah. it was it was just this kind of house mm. it's it's gone now and it's, mm. it's there's a housing estate there yeah. but it was surrounded by you know a couple of fields yeah. and we even had a donkey in the field and all that and um, now there were houses across the road and, and there was a, a, the doctor over there actually used to say that he enjoyed hearing us rehearsing you know which was nice it's a great way to start off as well, I think, to do to be to be immersed in so much good music and to have it all the time in the house. Yeah. To start off a band, but then, you, so when did you? I saw you in the bag it in. I don't know how far into it you were, but you were playing. I that think was you, early days. Yeah. Yeah. You did the song Foxy Lady, didn't you? Oh yeah, didn't yeah. You? I mean, yeah. Sure, we were all covers nearly when we started out. You yeah. Know? Which I think is a great idea, to be honest. Yeah. Well, we Learned started to. Because when you put a band together, you can't wait to gig. You know, yeah. oh, you're yeah. just dying to get up on a stage and gig and see what people think. And yeah. your friends will come. You're kind of doing the gig for your mates and yeah. impress a few girls yeah. and that kind of thing, you know. Yeah. So, like, we, we, we st- I remember we booked, like, I think our very first gig was in the Hilltop Hotel in Salt Hill. And uh, the band was huge. There was, like, I think there must have been eight of us or something. There's a pile of And uh, the, um, it was all covers. And I think maybe there might have been one original in there or something, but it was all covers and there were songs taken from that sort of, from everyone's record collections, you know. So the Derek was uh, ran um, a great club night in Galway called The Souls, The Soul Solution. And uh, so he was playing all kinds of stuff from like Africa, Mambata to Fela Kuti to classic soul. Right. All kinds of stuff. So we kind of we really enjoyed that music his club was always packed and all that and in a way that was kind of our audience mm. of kind of a mixture of art students and sort of the kind of eclectic crowd in Galway the arts festival yeah. mocking his crowd and um, there was a great club uh, wasn't it Funk Off started Funk Off in yeah, yeah. Who, who ran Own Foil Own Foil yeah yeah um, and uh, so it was really good I mean the club scene was fantastic in Galway way better than what was going on in Dublin actually yeah. and um so our we started doing covers by songs like Archie Bell and the Drells and um, we take you know so people didn't know these songs so it wasn't like we were going up and doing covers of whatever oh, music was current yeah, yeah, yeah we were taking these old songs twisting them around to suit us putting rearranging them putting in breaks for guitar solos where there were none and right. all that kind of stuff and our whole thing was to kind of just keep people on their feet that's dancey so stuff then yeah. it was quite dancey yeah and and so we'd throw in you know stuff like I think Foxy Lady as well just because Derek was such a great kind of guitar soloist and it was great to hear him in full flight you yeah know? And, uh, and the brass and there was another one Socken 1, 2, 3, 4 was another soul one that came off one of those albums and then we'd do some Nancy Sinatra <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah what, what, so what, it was what, all we used to do um, Sugar Town or I like think that, we or? did did we do Sugar Town we definitely did these boots are made for work right 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 and right. um Cool. So we kind of utilised stuff where there was brass because it was great to be able to get, you know, at the end when it was da 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 And I said, it was all that kind of stuff. And then we started to write our own stuff. What was your first song that you did? Got to Get Away. Got to Get Away is your first song. It was the first single. Myself and Joe wrote that. And uh, Joe, Joe wrote the, the, the music and I wrote the words but that was we were Steve Earle had an album out at the time called Guitar Town which oh, yeah, is an amazing that. album yeah, yeah. and we were listening to that every day in this house so it was very much Got to Get Away is very much influenced by Steve Earle's Guitar Town oh cool and then after that came Half Past Two what? which was very different yeah yeah yeah, yeah. And that's why The Stunning never got signed because we were like an A&R man's nightmare it was like you know 
file under what you know they couldn't we were God, we I were think that's bullshit though because there is a sound every no matter what uh, I think they just couldn't pigeonhole us though yeah, you know because if you look at the singles like there was Got to Get Away which was a country stomper Half Past Two which I wrote which was probably influenced by those growing up hearing those Burt Bacharach records cause yeah, it but was, if you, you know, hear a stunning song you know it's a stunning there's still a sound possibly you know yeah, there might yeah, be different styles yeah, but there's still a yeah. sound but I and then we came out with Romeo's on Fire mm. which we'd been listening to we'd gone to see a band called Los Lobos play oh, and right, they, yeah. there was that kind of Latin you know Tex-Mex kind of yeah. thing and uh, there was a guy called Flaco Jimenez as well who used to play we used to see a lot of these acts in the Galway Arts Festival there was brilliant bands would come down and play and uh, so like Romeo's on Fire had we had Martin O'Connor who's the, uh, an amazing box player right and uh, so he did a solo in it and we trumpet on it and all and that was yet another like what the hell are this band and then there was Brewing Up a Storm right which was massive but like, which was, wasn't massive Joe it was it was the first stunning single to not enter the charts and oh. to get zero airplay but then it must have been really it was a it was a complete flop we did um, Solid Records organised the signing in Golden Discs on Grafton Street and nobody turned up it was like that scene in Spinal Tap the band arrived and we pretended to be customers flicking through we were in the shop flicking through the vinyl <laughs> yeah yeah nobody came I think one person came in heard about it or whatever on the radio bought the 7 inch and you know uh, the fella says that, that's the band over there <laughs> kind of like incognito yeah, yeah, yeah. and that was it it was a flop oh, Net really? got no airplay it was too guitar-y or whatever and so everyone thinks that was an instant hit it wasn't Brewing Up A Storm became because we used to gig so much it became this kind of gig anthem and it went from a song that we had in the first quarter of the set to one we had to end the set on and then it just became this and even after the stunning broke up in 94 Brewing Up A Storm seemed to carry on because it was appearing especially that and Half Past Two were appearing on all of these kind of best of Irish rock albums and all of that and it just seemed to in the years it was the 10 years that followed that well, we weren't I was gigging to PJ Gallagher I was saying I was going to interview you and he yeah. said well like Brune Upstrom was like the Irish national anthem for a few years it was like uh, yeah it's mad yeah. and then yeah. like sometimes I mean I, I, I'd be out somewhere uh, um, I could be anywhere in Inishboffin or in Galway or Clare or whatever and you'd be in some bar and it's the end of the night and that song and people would go crazy it was and the I'd last be like hiding like, down the end of it, you know and then I mean it's I, it's very flattering to hear and then you hear like all around the country bands doing covers of it and all that you know right oh, I didn't pub bands and all of that to do every, loads of people have covered it and uh, it's brilliant mm. but I never would have thought like I wrote that on an acoustic guitar in, in my bedroom in that big farmhouse where we were all living right. and I was trying to write a Dylan song because I'd been in Germany where I was playing uh, I used to play the in this Jugend Centrum it was this young people's pub mm. and uh, I'd play um, Neil Young and Dylan covers and all that kind of stuff and yeah. uh, the, all the Germans were mad into that Yeah. so I was trying to write my Blowing in the Wind so it started off a very different song it was kind of a strummy kind of thing slower was it you know and yeah. it was it was really influenced by Blowing in the Wind and then I remember trying it out when the stunning then we were rehearsing and it just wasn't working and someone said put the electric guitar on and try it and you can't really strum an electric guitar so I had to pick out the notes and then the riff kind of started to emerge and then everyone starts playing over it and then it, it just morphed into 
the kind of the blue oyster cult <laughs> you know with the cowbell going everyone yeah, says yeah. it sounds like don't, oh, fear, cowbell. don't fear the reaper yeah, <laughs> yeah it's brilliant well, the stunning did get popular very quickly is that true um, they went well, from like within a well we yeah I suppose it, to we formed in 1987 I can't yeah. remember like when in 1987 and we were doing all those gigs all covers and everything and then yeah. Got to Get Away came out in 1988 mm. and it went to number 17 mm. so it got good airplay yeah that's pretty that's but radio was a huge part of every, uh, back then every yeah. Irish band got played got played yeah. um, and uh, radio and basically it was 2FM because there was there was only really the only national station music station was 2FM right okay so 2FM were actually amazing in that they made household names of bands like The Stunning and A House and Something Happens The Four of Us Aslan you know which was which, which was brilliant and I think it's the way it should be I know cause and I, because I, I, you know what I mean you put bums on seats all around the country yes and it's good for the industry it's, it's good great for the industry it's great for the bars the, the, bars, the clubs yeah, exactly. the venue owners mm-hmm. it's great mm-hmm. for the guys that hire you the van the PA system mm-hmm. the crews I, I just I always think that the Irish music industry is its own worst enemy and I've said that before on a Facebook comment, and uh, and the Facebook has gone, you know, mental yeah, hundreds of comments and all of that. But like you know what uh, I mean. I I, I kind of uh, Guin- the the Guinness Day, Arthur's Day, Arthur's and all of that. Day. Yeah, I mean, yeah, because they're not booking Irish band. They're bringing over. Well, that's all I was giving out about at the yeah. time. It, it, it was, I think, it was the second or third Arthur's Day, whatever. And the the, the full page ad in the Irish Times, whatever paper it was, said, you know, the stars are maybe coming to your local and all the acts were all from the UK there was yeah. eight headline acts all UK and in small print at the bottom it said plus over 500 homegrown acts what that's supposed to mean us Mundy Jerry Fish all these people who have put their blood and sweat into music and the business and building up something in this country yeah. and then you've got a, an organisation that comes in and rolls out the red carpet to imported talent and that's what I disagree with and I still think that that it was that period in the in the mid to late eighties and the early nineties was where the Irish music industry really helped itself and Irish radio because two FM I suppose wasn't looking over its shoulder wasn't too bothered about yeah. the ratings they were the music station yeah. and now music has become the filler for advertising and all the stations are concerned about is is their, their listenership numbers and the ratings and the advertising revenue as a result so it's not it's not helping you know what I mean an Irish band releases a single and if it's a quality single and it's not getting played then you know McDolan can't open up the you know the venue on a Wednesday or Thursday yeah. night you know what I mean I'm just using oh, that as an example and then when it when albums just get kind of like Stop the Lights um, that, that wonderful um, publication um, uh, that I, I would kind of mention in the same sentences like you, I'd say people like Jeremy Clarkson well Jeremy Clarkson writes for it but in the Sunday Times yeah, and the, when Stop the Lights came out and the Sunday Times uh, gave it um, Dud of the Week <gasps> you serious? yeah yeah that's and that was that album took us about five years to make it was like Jesus getting it was like Christ. I felt I got a kick in the gut yeah I remember it was a bank holiday weekend and I remember getting the, the paper on the Sunday and I thought oh maybe our album's reviewed oh in it my God. and there it was 
Um, I won't mention who reviewed it. Why it not? was just it was just cast aside. <laughs> who reviewed it? I don't even think it was a woman called Siobhan Maguire. Yeah. I don't even know if she even listened to it. She just said it was um, medi- it was mediocrity at its whatever. It's like that's, that's bullshit. And I mean, like the thing is, I think something. I think um, so. That's what that's what you put up with, Joe, in this yeah. industry here. You know what I mean? You get hard knocks and also, but yeah. there's times as well when people do that to you and I know that's a it's a brilliant album and I've, I've, we've got the people that have got it we've just got amazing um, feedback yeah. and uh, it's kind of a, it's a very life affirming album whatever there's a yeah. lot of kind of experience and the songwriting is kind of reaching a new level and it's really uplifting it's really well, uplifting it? as well yeah, yeah. like that song Dudelesque you mentioned I yeah, love it's brilliant. that it's a really yeah. quirky thing it's yeah. Just, I don't know anybody that's kind of doing that, that kind of music like you know yeah. it's very different and um, but uh, you know to have it there and there's like an Irish journalist I don't know if she's a music journalist or what or you know just it's like just cast it off like just like that I'm in a bad mood I don't like this who are they those lads that used to be in the stunning yeah dud of the week so but like, where are you at now I know with the stunning maybe a recording at the minute yeah Is that correct? we are we're yeah. doing the stunning are doing a new album yeah and uh in um, we were down at Grouse Lodge. Grouse Lodge, We'd Paddy Dunning's Paddy place. Dunning's place. It's, yeah, it's yeah. really great, and yes. it really suited us because it was away from kids and all. We go down. Yeah, we did two stints. Um, one uh, towards the end of last year, and one about a month ago. Yeah, of a week each. Yeah, and we would just you know we're uh, get the breakfast in at about ten, and we'd be in the studio at about eleven. Mm. and we'll work away a break for dinner at 7 back in and we'll work till about 2 in the morning or 1 o'clock in the morning oh so uh, we've got about 11 or 12 songs recorded mm. so we're doing the f- the finishing now in between other gigs various other things we're trying to get it finished here now in Dublin we have our own little studio in Harold's Cross alright brilliant oh, can't wait for that and so you're doing a good bit of acting like Moonboy was brilliant you were brilliant on Moonboy thanks a million you were great in Father Ted by the way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's 20 years ago <laughs> um, how did you how did you end up doing Moonboy did you, uh, you well I said to them I don't want to do any ads or uh, I'm, I, I, I can't I couldn't commit to theatre at the moment because I'm still doing some gigs and stuff yeah. so I didn't hear anything from them for about six months and then uh I got a call out of the blue um, to go in and audition for Moonboy and nobody, nobody knew what it was they just oh. said look it's it's this it's a pilot or something or a TV series Chris O'Dowd I didn't even really know who he was No. and uh, he's, this guy Chris O'Dowd has written it and he's in it and all that and there's a part they haven't cast yet so I went in and I, I thought the script was funny and I, th- I could really identify with the character. character you know I completely I knew so many guys yeah. like him and uh, it was probably me actually my time in Germany actually well yeah except for your character didn't probably wasn't in Germany he pretended yeah exactly yeah, <laughs> yeah yeah so I, I actually got I, I went into the audition and I kind of dressed a bit like I thought this character would look like I didn't want to overdo it you know yeah. but I did go in with um, I kind of looked like I'd just been busking on Grafton Street I had a parka jacket on and uh and I like in a pork pie hat and I had various kind of beads on like I'd just been interrailing or back from India or something you know I had some bracelets and leather leather bracelets and stuff and an old pair of jeans and stuff and a a pair of hiking boots and stuff so I kind of looked like I might have been interrailing and I had my guitar on my back oh wow so I went in and uh, the um, I I was kind of doing my my I was basing the accent on a Clare accent on on a friend of mine down there 
and I was kind of ad-libbing a bit and uh, Chris O'Dowd and um, uh, the director um, Declan Lowney who did all the Father Ted oh, yeah, stuff yeah. Declan's lovely man yeah. and Amy Rowan the casting agent they were falling around the place laughing and I thought because this is my first audition you know I thought oh they're being very nice and I was you know doing all this of Labour the Lord and all this like really Claire stuff and all they yeah. thought it was great right. and uh, then I had to sing a bit of a song you know I'm busking and I was kind of getting them to join in and everything like you know in the name of love and getting them to oh join yeah in. yeah and actually at the audition putting them on the spot alright okay. come on come on sing along with yeah, me yeah, kind yeah, of thing yeah, you know yeah, yeah. and he actually stuck that in the script in the end up alright uh, yeah so you know when Peter the brother comes yeah. up and the town I'm in the town with yeah. Martin Moon and, and then yeah. I kind of get him to awkwardly sing yeah, as well yeah, you know yeah, yeah, but I had a bit of crack with it actually and kind of went off kind of thought well, that was a bit of fun you know it wasn't yeah. too nerve wracking and yeah. uh, and then it was about five days later I got the call that I got the part and uh, I was absolutely delighted but I remember when um, it was whatever it was like a month later or something like that and been driven down to Boyle and the first scene that we shot was that scene the busking scene in the in the town centre in Boyle beside that pillar or monument whatever it is and uh, I remember going we were walking up I you know had the costume on and it's like seven in the morning you know and the dawn is just coming up you've already been there had the breakfast got the makeup the costume and you're going up to the location and I was going then it kind of hit me you know I saw that they'd stopped traffic and there was there was people gathered to watch it and there was the camera crew and I remember going oh Jesus Christ what have I done <laughs> <laughs> like I'm so nervous yeah it was like this was it and I hadn't actually thought about you know because I hadn't really done it before so it was like the audition was a cinch and I remember getting this real panic attack I had a vision of me just running down the main street and boy running away running away away, and it was like all of a sudden you know then the sound man is up and he's putting on the wireless mic and all of that and I'm going jeez what are my lines and all this it was really kind of a lesson in sort of uh, Focusing and yeah. trying to remember, you know, because it's so distracting. There's so many people around. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. And you're doing the scene, and the camera's way over there. Nobody can hear you, and it's just you and 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 the other actor, or in, the, in this case, David Raw. Oh, that's you know? right. Yes, you're, you're, uh, you're just yeah. It's just two lines. And I remember kind of going because you know, and that's something I suppose that um, no acting course written really teaches you no. is that that kind of uh, panic that you can experience at yeah. that moment when they just go action mm. and you have to be in the zone yeah. so I found that, that in uh, Kill- when I first did Killing a Scully there was five series of it but the first uh, few weeks of it because I felt like I was the only person who wasn't an actor on yeah, the set yeah I was the same as well I, I kept thought, thinking you're all professional it? actors yeah and, just, like, yeah. and there's lo- yeah it's right there's loads of people looking yeah. at you I think to you know what also helped it for me though like I was acting with a kid you know who was just so delighted not to be in school yeah yeah you know, yeah like yeah, David yeah. Rawl you know and he's, he's gassed because he's already like he's, he's grown up so much and his voice is broken and yeah but I mean that's only what three or four years ago and uh, he was like a little kid you just know just delighted and he, to him he was just he no he no he was nervous at all no he, he was just totally natural <laughs> amazing and I was like if he can do it I can do it <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I, I've, I've worked with kids a few. I did a, an episode of Roy, you know. It's oh yeah, uh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, the main character. But the, the kids don't care. Yeah, they just no nerves at all. They don't care. It's mental. Yeah. yeah. 
So, and now you're doing Vikings. Yeah, I've done a few things. It's actually, it's actually done? done, been going quite well actually. Because I, I think after that, after the Moon Boy thing, um, I did another audition for it was for a horror film, a feature called Dark Touch. Yeah, it was a, uh, a French director, this woman called Marina Devan, mm-hmm. and. Uh, so I, I got that as well I remember the agent rang me up and he says I don't know what the fuck you're doing in those auditions but, but you're just, just getting every one of them just keep doing it <laughs> yeah. and I think part of the fact was that I didn't feel like an actor yeah right so yeah, I was going yeah. into auditions and not being particularly nervous and kind of thinking my whole thing was to do the audition for the experience of doing the audition mm. that's what I wanted because mm. when I rang up the, the, the actor's agency I said I want to do some auditions for the experience of doing the auditions yeah. I wasn't doing them with a view to actually getting the parts mm, mm, mm. so it was kind of I think maybe that was a help that I wasn't going in saying I really need to get this part I was going in to enjoy the audition process yeah, and, and to learn from it fun. Yeah, yeah. you know so I, I did that and then I um, I did Moon Boys series 2 and 3 and uh, then what else did I do was, uh, I did a, a short film that was terrific short called yeah. Ghost Train right Um really good myself and an actor called Owen McDonnell yeah. um, were the two leads in it and that was great experience doing that and uh, I did I did another short film a lovely film called Anywhere But Here yeah. and I found all of these were just I was really trying to focus on that whole thing of concentrating and getting in the zone and trying to yeah. find that way of on a set of actually forgetting who you are and yeah. trying to focus and uh then I got cast in the Silent Witness for the BBC, and that that was last that aired in January, oh, just cool. passed, and that was kind of the biggest thing I'd done. That was no, that was nerve wracking because um, I did the audition. I filmed it on my iPhone in my kitchen. Yeah, and because uh, a lot of them are, are self tapes now. Yeah, they, I did uh, an audition for Red Rock on my right. Yeah, phone. yeah, I got the part. Yeah, great. So yeah, yeah. So and it's amazing. Like I did it, yeah. but the thing about the self tapes is that you can do it loads of times till you get it right yeah. you know and you have to it, it does help that's right you, yeah if, but yeah. It, it does help if you get another, you need to have another actor reading you the, the, the other lines for you know the scene what? I and did if it's the flipping audition without I couldn't get anyone oh really and, uh, I just did my lines wow and left and uh, was thinking what the other lines were that's great but they said it was fine brilliant yeah <laughs> you should get do you know what get one of your kids to do the other lines yeah when I'm practicing scenes now my daughter loves doing it she oh, loves right. she helped me with, with the the Viking stuff learning the lines right okay yeah yeah. yeah. you know what age is your daughter she, she's uh, nine so the, yeah. first, the Viking that would have been two years ago when I did the first Vikings mm. and uh, but she loved it uh, reading the lines back yeah. the characters. but it's good because you you know you get it it's, it's it's easier to learn them uh, I find in a kind of conversational oh, way like, you know than, yeah. you know yeah. so um, yeah after oh, before Silent Witness I did, I got the Vikings audition that was I was on holidays actually in Italy and I hadden done an audition in about three months mm. all of a sudden I'm asked to get do three of them so I filmed it on my iPhone yeah found an internet collect, connection a uh, wireless down by the poolside yeah <laughs> sent it off and ended up getting the role cool so I kind of I my character appears in season two, in mm. two episodes, and then they brought me back for season three, which is airing at the moment. Mm. I think I'm in two or three episodes in that, and I'm back on it in April for season four. Yeah, but basically the silent the silent I'll, I'll finish it off for you just on the yeah. acting stuff. The, the silent witness thing. Um, uh, when I got that, I went over to the UK. I had 
uh, three trips over there and it was an amazing experience I thought it was I was really daunted by it because it was the BBC and all of this I thought wow this and I'm not really an actor I kept thinking you know but they were so nice and so professional the director was this guy called David Richards and he just made me so at ease and I went over the day before I was to shoot and uh, at, and I went down to the set where they were shooting and uh, at the lunch break he came up and introduced himself and he said um, he said we really liked your tape he said he said a lot a lot of the actors um they uh were you know being very authoritative and all what what they what they thought a chief superintendent might be like he said but um he said you didn't really do that you gave us the man behind the cop <laughs> yeah, that's nice no i didn't know that you know yeah, i didn't yeah. know i thought i was just doing it my way i wasn't yeah. being too far from myself and that's what they wanted they yeah. wanted the human the man behind the cop and all this because there's a whole thing where i'm having an affair with, with this um other detective chief inspector this woman right and uh, she's in Sherlock actually Zoe Teller she's brilliant and uh, so then w- when that happened then it aired and all and uh, I think then I had you know you've got b- a bit of BBC footage on your showreel then people kind of you're a bit more reliable Respect. I suppose yeah. mm. and I just did a thing there um, in the Czech Republic in Prague called Crossing Lines um, with Donald Sutherland and all and it was a kind of similar thing I was, ca- I was cast again I did the audition on my iPhone in the kitchen where I normally do it mm. And uh, I was cast directly from that, and a role of a baddie. I, I'm, I'm the head. Are you of in a, a scene with Donald sort of thing? No, unfortunately not. I'm not. In a, I don't have scenes with him, but I have scenes with um, uh, Goran Viznich, who's that actor. He used to be an ER. I think he, he replaced uh, George Clooney. All oh, right. He's Croatian guy. All all the girlies love him. Mm. Um, he's tall, dark, handsome Croatian guy. He's based in LA, and. Uh, so I've got scenes with him and uh, it's good actually it's a kind of a global crime drama I think it's very high tech and all and I play this guy called Fitzroy who's the head of a, a private security company so very dodgy but Donald Sutherland is after me because he knows I'm involved in shady stuff alright cool so uh, that was done I finished that about two weeks ago and that'll come out at the end of the year but it was a brilliant experience doing it because I, I kind of found because I, I, it was the first thing I did where I had like some long scenes like good dialogue and mm. uh, scenes where you, I really had to work on them and, and, and then they told me because uh, in the audition they said do it in your own accent and the day before I went over they, they made changes to the script and they told me that my character was now English so I had to be I had to do an English accent mm. oh, I was, that kind of threw me you know but they had a dialect coach there an American woman and she was terrific so we had to find a specific accent that suited this character because yeah. he, was, he was a working class guy that kind of made good and tough guy ex-army and all of that you know so he couldn't be that kind of RP sort of uh, Colin Firth kind of accent or, yeah. and I didn't want the East London wide boy because that's just too cliched and I mean you know why they just get a guy from East London to do that so I had to find an accent that was kind of a little bit neutral but suited this showed a little bit of the street but a little bit of sophistication as well okay but it was so that was a br- that was the, that was probably the the biggest learning curve I've had in the acting thing to date that's was, a film was doing is that. it no it's a it's a television series and I'd be each crossing lines crossing lines and then crossing you're in Silent Witness that's coming up Silent Witness, Silent Witness aired in, in uh, January oh did it okay and, and uh, crossing lines will be at the end of this year and then Vikings um, I'm, I'll be in series 3 which will be on RTE probably soon yeah uh, I pop up in that and, and uh, uh, any gigs coming up gigs yeah nice. we're actually doing Leopardstown yeah. 
uh, I think it's August uh, 6th or something like that yeah we're doing Leopardstown Race Course with the Stunning um, which is some stunning gigs because to basically we should get this new stunning album finished yeah and, and uh, the album will be coming out I suppose uh, it'll like probably be either be if we get it done by Christmas uh, it'll be great right okay um, cool. well, look so I'm not sure that. we might get a single out in advance of it or something cool well thanks for coming in Steve well you have some well, serious editing to do there, I know Joe. we have reams of stuff reams of stuff it'll be done yeah thanks for coming in and you're looking well because yourself and Joe you're unbelievable not grey hair in your head but you have loads of grey hairs have you? you no well compared to me I have loads look I have loads it's just they're they're um, they're just I don't dye my hair or anything like that no it's something else anyway listen thanks for coming in I like your grey streaks oh really they're very kind of distinguished looking yeah thanks yeah Yeah. alright you like your man Paulie and the Sopranos Paulie with the wings, <laughs> the yeah, wings. yeah. It was going well until you said that. Anyway, yeah. <laughs> Thanks a lot. Thanks, Joe. Well, hope you enjoyed that. Uh, I'm off to Bath on Friday. I'm doing a gig in. St. James Wine Vaults in Bath at the Bath Comedy Festival on Friday and Saturday. And I'm in Limerick on Sunday night in McGettigan's Bar. That's a free gig with Paddy Casey, actually. So come along to that if you're in Limerick. Um, Tomorrow I'm interviewing Eleanor Tiernan for the uh, episode six of the podcast. And the week after, I'm interviewing Cod O'Reardon, formerly of the Pogues. I love interviewing people, I have to say. It's it's really something I like doing. I like finding out about people. Mostly people like talking about themselves, I think, to me. I think I could have been a good therapist, but I'd probably be the type of therapist that would need a therapist after every therapy session. I'd probably interrupt patients by saying, you think that's bad? I had it much worse. Yes, uh, if you want to find out about any of my gigs, go to www joerooneycomedian.com Thank you to Steve Wall for coming in. Thank you to Andrew Mangan for producing every episode, but particularly this episode because there was so much work to edit it down to a, a, a listenable amount. And thank you to everybody at Castaway Media. Thank you to Daniel Rooney for providing the music for the podcast. And thank you for listening. Listen, if you're always running to the bathroom and sometimes just can't make it, we need to talk. You're not alone. I was just like you until I spoke to an expert physician about axonics therapy. It changed everything. It didn't just give me bladder control. It gave me my life back. Axonics therapy is not another drug. It's just a tiny device you barely have to think about. And it can give you real lasting relief. You can even try it out first to make sure it works for you. Just take the first step. Get started at findrealrelief.com. That's findrealrelief.com. It's time to get your life back. Consult a bladder specialist to find out if Axonix is right for you. Results and experiences may vary. Risks can result from Axonix therapy that may require surgical intervention. Available by prescription only. For more information about safety and potential risks, go to findrealrelief.com.